Imagine if you could have dinner with Jesus. If you could go to dinner with Jesus, what would it be like? Well, we have a few glimpses here and there in the Gospels of Jesus eating with people in various situations. Some are, are, are comfortable and warm and relaxed. You know, I think of the Apostle John reclining and even putting his head on Jesus, just the closeness of their, of their fellowship as brothers as they shared that journey. And then there were other meals that were a tad bit more awkward. This is one that would have been extremely interesting to be at, but I would say very uncomfortable if you were a Pharisee. So, um, you know, at times you hear people say, well, Jesus was a friend of sinners and he was always eating and drinking with sinners. And yes, he was, that's true. But, but he spent a lot of time with the Pharisees who were sinners as well. These were the highest religious elite and Jesus was constantly going to their homes and having dinner with them as well. So if we think that, uh, you know, religious people are just too stuffy and the real sinners are out there in the world, we, we need to be careful with that because the reality is that sinners come in every shape and form. Some are rich, some are poor. Some are religious, some are absolutely not religious. And uh, Jesus was a friend of sinners across the board. Let's consider these verses as we jump in here. I want to begin in verses 1 through 6. I call this the, the Sabbath trap. One Sabbath, when he went, that's Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Okay, we'll just stop there and consider where we're at here. Okay, it's Sabbath day. We've been here. This is familiar ground that we've covered. Here, Jesus is teaching again. It's on Sabbath. Now, probably this is not the actual dinner that we would think dinner in the evening. This is probably after morning worship and we're early afternoon lunch. So Sabbath lunch, it was extremely common for the one who was teaching at the, the synagogue to be invited and hosted in the local um, gathering. And so the ruler of the Pharisees, no insignificant person here. This is a power player in this area. We don't know exactly what town we're in, but here comes Jesus to dine with him at his house. And I just have to point this out. This is persistent grace. This is, this is Jesus being very persistent in his pursuit of these very hard-hearted people. I mean, at this point in his ministry, they have, many of them, hardened their hearts so much that they want to see him dead. They're not just looking to hang out and shoot the breeze. They're trying to trap him. They're setting up scenarios and seams and, 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 uh, and trying to drop in different lines and think of things that they could say that would catch him up so that they would have reason to discredit him or even to kill him. It's persistent grace, and we've got to see that in these words. Jesus is not just trying to annoy these people. He's trying to bring them life and hope and kingdom realities through his ministry to them. It says they were watching him closely. Now, these words carry more than just simply, you know, eyeballing. This is a uh, malicious in tone. Their goal is a trap. They're keeping an eye on him. They want to catch him, trip him up, trap him. And so he comes upon this man with dropsy. Now, here's what's funny about the scene. 
Jesus most likely has not even gotten in the house yet because a man who had this disease, dropsy or edema, this is the, the retention of water, usually related to a failure of internal organs, um, heart-related, you sometimes just begin to swell up and you retain water. It's very dangerous and you'll die if you're not treated. You can eventually just die. Your organs will shut down. They'll, they'll be too pressured and and so this man is in serious trouble. But he's, because of this situation, there's no way he's in this Pharisee's house. There's no way he would be brought in. He's unclean. He would make them unclean. And so it's likely that this man has been, I believe, strategically placed in the path of Jesus as he comes to this man's home. Here's a man who's sitting outside the house dying. And he's got this disease. This is the trap, friends. I think it gives us a little bit of a glimpse into how hard-hearted these Pharisees were, how far they were willing to go to try to catch Jesus doing something that they wanted to condemn him for. They, I think, placed this man strategically on a Sabbath day in the path of Jesus so that they could make the same accusation that they've made a couple times previously when Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. Jesus responded to the lawyers, the scribes, and the Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now just pause there with that question. Jesus stops in front of the man with dropsy outside of the house, and all of the guests are out here, and he poses the question to them. Should I heal him on the Sabbath or not? Is that lawful? Are you guys okay with me healing this man on the Sabbath? You speak. You say. They remained silent. Now, what do we know about their silence? Well, one, these guys are scared to death to try to speak and, and take Jesus out with words. He wins every time. Every time the person who speaks up is totally shamed. He's, he's unmasked. His hard heart is revealed. And so they've learned, you know what? We're just not going to say anything. The problem is, is their silence is revealing, isn't it? They are trapped. Jesus has just turned the trap on them. The crowds are watching, and they stand there, and they're silent. Why? Well, if they say, sure, Jesus, go ahead and heal him, they'll be called hypocrites, right? They're the ones who are saying it's unlawful to heal on the Sabbath. But if they say, no, Jesus, there's no way you should break the Sabbath and heal this man, well, then it's revealed that their hearts are hard and they're not compassionate. They don't care about the man. And so they just stay quiet. It may, in fact, have been the wisest response yet of the Pharisees, given where they were at. Just don't quit. Don't say it. Stop. Let's see what he does. Jesus took him healed him, and sent him away. This is bold, right in their face. Should I do this or not? You tell me. No words? Okay, you're healed. Go in peace. Just, just like that. Is that work? Is that work for Jesus? No. No. He said to them, to drive the point home, which which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? 
and they could not reply to these things. Jesus once again shows compassion for this man. He shows that there is a greater regard for the rest that this man can enter into. This dying man is now given his life back. Think of his joy as he left. He saves his life. He gives him uh, another chance on life. What was the response of the Pharisees? I wonder what was happening in their hearts. Were they impressed? Were they embarrassed? Were they angry? What were they feeling? Were they numb? We don't know. The story continues. I love the I love just the, 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 the constant reality is that when you try to trap Jesus, you end up in the cage, right? It, it's almost always the, the way it goes down. Jesus is never fooled. He will not be trapped. He's the one who lays his life down willingly. No one takes his life from him. Now, verse 7, humble or humbled. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give up your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Okay. So what you find now is that we've made our way in. We're in the, 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 the place of gathering. This would have been most likely in the shade because of the, the sun at this time of day. You don't want to be eating out in the open. So a shaded area, most likely out on a, a porch that's covered of some sort or inside, but of this size, it's most likely some kind of outdoor covered area that's taking place. And it's a, a, a big spectacle. There's a lot of people who are here and invited and uh, it's kind of a big feast and, and a banquet here and so I was able to fit five people on stage given all the other things we're doing here. Jesus comes in and he begins to make some observations. Now it says that uh, this is I think irony that Luke wants us to notice. It says they were watching him closely. What was Jesus doing? Well Jesus was also watching wasn't he? Just imagine Jesus coming in and sitting down. He comes in and he, and he takes a seat. And then he just begins to watch in silence, just looking and watching the shuffling and the arguments, the, the, the moving, the pushing. What were they doing? Well, in Jewish tradition, this goes way back, there is a, a, a real chain of command, as it were, a, a kind of a, an honor system that functions at the mealtime. So I need, uh, let's see, I need four volunteers, okay? Yeah, come on up. Come on up right here. Jonah, come on up. Good, we got four. Okay. Okay. Jonah, since you were the last to volunteer, you get to be the first. You are the host, okay? You get the throne. You get the throne. Crawl in this thing here. We'll get you in there. All right. Good. Hey, you did a good job in the play the other night too, man. That was awesome. Okay, now that's kind of a big chair. 
But that's the point, right? He's the man. This is his home. He's the one who called the feast. Now, now here's what happens next. In a Jewish culture, you have the person who's seated on the right. That's a big deal. The right is the, the strong arm. Sit at my right hand. The right hand is the highest place of honor. So now you get to pick, Jonah, which of these people you want to sit at your right hand. And here they are, they're clamoring, and they're like, oh, pick me, pick me. Oh, I want to sit there. And all of a sudden, you get picked, and you come. Come, look at this. Whoa, what an honor this is. Okay, man, I should have brought some chocolate or something. We could have eaten. Is there anything in here? No? Oh. Okay, now, the next important seat is your left hand. And so you have someone on your right, and they're very distinguished and important. And then over here, come on over here, Charlotte. And uh, you've got Charlotte here on your left. Okay. Did I get that right? Charlotte, Lydia. Okay. And then, oh, Peyton, I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> Isn't it how it always goes? Peyton is left. You get the little kid chair. You have to sit low. Come sit here, my brother. Okay, now, here, I believe, is what is happening. And there's some dynamics that you've got to kind of use your imagination for. You ask the question, when Jesus walks into the room, where do you think he would choose to sit? Now, let's ask the question before that. Where does Jesus deserve to sit? The throne, man. Where do you think Jesus chose to sit? I believe that Jesus chose the lowest seat in the room and sat down and then began to just watch the show unfold. And they're shuffling and they're all moving people around trying to get the highest seats of honor. And Jesus is like, hmm, this is interesting. You guys doing well? Okay. Next time I do this, I'm going to bring some food. <laughs> the question really at the end of the day is, who is going to concern themselves more with self-promotion, or my word, self-demotion? What are you interested in? You begin these assessments, right? There's, there's assessment that's taking place. How important am I compared to that person. Oh, well, definitely more important than her. What about her? Well, maybe, I don't know. But if I get there first, maybe I can get the seat, right? What is the nature of the assessment that's taking place? How, I, how are these assessments conducted? Well, these are Pharisees, right? We're building our assessment on performance, this is a performance-based system, and we're not really concerned about the vertical assessment, God's holiness, my sinfulness. We're more or less concerned about how do I measure up in my performance of righteousness against the rest of you. Maybe you throw in a little bit of financial component. Do I have more money in the bank? Do I have a bigger home? Do I drive a nicer car? Well, if that's the case, and I add my righteousness to it, well, then I definitely measure up, and I, I get to move up the ladder. There's a lot of this tug of war taking place, and it's a, 
a, a, a show. Jesus is just like, wow, look at this. Look at this. Hmm. The irony is that <laughs> Jesus is in the room. He's in the room. And no one is concerned about where he sits. All they're worried about is where they're going to sit. It's fascinating about what the kingdom of God does to the way we find value in life, the, the sanctity of human life. Like at the, at the bare minimum, we believe in the sanctity of human life, whether it's young or old, whether it's in the womb or close to the tomb. Life is significant because that person bears the image of God. And then we begin to find that kingdom assessment operates in a totally different way. Kingdom assessment begins here first, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man. I began to think differently about how I am to honor my friends, my neighbors, my brother or sister. The kingdom value has a very different kind of outcome and assessment. Listen to what Jesus says. When you are invited, so he's speaking to the guests now, the guests of this lunch. When you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, oh, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. And then he lands it with this. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Interesting. So the worst thing that could happen is that someone says, well, listen, I deserve to sit on his right. Now, do you remember the apostles arguing with each other? Who's going to get to sit on your right hand and your left? The sons of thunder, James and John, they sent their mom to ask Jesus if, the, if they could have those pl places of honor. Jesus says, listen, why don't you let the host do, do that? If you sit yourself here in the place of honor and the host says, oh, no, 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 no. You, you do not belong there. You need to move down. Oh, that's a shameful experience. However, if you come in humbly saying, look, I don't even deserve a seat at this table. And the host says, no, 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 no. Come, come here. Come close. Sit by me. Think of that. What is Jesus doing? He's unmasking their pride. He's revealing their self-exaltation instinct. Friends, we all have that. That is in all of us. It is displayed in so many sins. Brings to mind these verses from 1 Peter. <clears throat> Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isn't that amazing? It's a quote out of Proverbs. Shows up in, in Peter and in James. God opposes the proud. So if you come and you're waving the flag of how awesome you are and how deserving you are and how important you are, you are inviting the opposition of God himself. But if you come and you say, listen, I, I don't deserve this. I, I don't deserve to even be in this home let alone 
to have a place to sit at this feast. You are inviting the grace of God upon your life. You're placing yourself in the path of his delight. Isn't that something? Thank you, my friends. You guys are awesome volunteers. Appreciate it. In my book, you all get the seat of honor, okay? As long as you don't fall asleep during the sermon. All right. That's good. Good. Thank you. Thank you. So you just have to picture Jesus sitting at whatever seat he chose. If he's going to say these things, my guess is it's the lowest. And you ask the question, did the host, the ruler of the synagogue here, of the Pharisees, did he tell Jesus, come up and sit close to me? I doubt it. I doubt it. They're trying to trap him. Hmm. He deserved the seat of honor. It's interesting what we find in the word as it relates to humility. Humility. A good definition for humility is the right assessment of ourselves in light of our sinfulness and God's holiness. We, we don't find a good experience of humility when we're just comparing ourselves on this plane. That's just a nightmare. That's impossible. The quickest way to find humility is just look up. <laughs> just, just look up. And you will see a God so holy, so perfect, And you will then begin to see the mirror of your own sin and failure. Now, the good news is that the gospel meets us there. In our low estate, he chose all of grace to love us. Not because we deserved it, but because he is that good. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. What is our response? Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Kingdom humility. Let's keep going. Verse 12, I, I titled these, section, uh, these verses here, Please come, you'll owe me. Please come. Come to my house for a feast. You'll owe me. Okay? Verse 12, now he's going to ad- address the host, the man who invited him. He said to the man who invited him, when, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Now we get a little taste of who is at the table, right? You, you see Jesus is looking around. He's observing. This is who this is. Don't invite all of these people. You invited the wrong people to this lunch. Why? Well, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. What's Jesus getting at? When you give a feast, sir, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, you've got to see these words in light of who is not at the table. The guy with dropsy, right? Jesus healed him. Was that man invited? No. He sent him away. Jesus healed this man, but he was still not invited in. In his joy and his celebration, he was sent away. Now, I assume there was another celebration taking place, maybe one that he would have been 
a lot more joyous at. Jesus looks around and he sees just people who are all put together and the religious elite and they're so impressed with themselves and Jesus is simply not impressed. Where's the poor? Where's the oppressed? The lame? The blind? Where's the hurting people? Why are they not here? Well, Jesus, they don't measure up. You see what kingdom humility does. It turns us outward. It pushes us outward. Now, let's not overstate this. Jesus is not suggesting we should never have family get-togethers at the holidays. Don't get me wrong. Or that it's wrong to have a potluck and invite the church and share and, and enjoy or to invite someone back over to your house who had you over. That's wonderful. Do that. But if that's the only reach of our heart, There's something missing. There's something missing. Maybe familiar with this if you watch the news lately. Quid pro quo. It's Latin. means this for that. I give you this. Oh, you give me that. I'm going to avoid all the politics of that that's going on right now. The idea is giving in order to get. He's basically telling the host here, hey, this is a great meal, you know, this is wonderful. Look at all these people. The motive of invitation is selfish because what you're doing here is functioning to serve yourself, not to give lavishly. If you wanted to do that, you would have invited some different people. Quid pro quo. It's kind of hard to say. Friends, This is the challenge of of pride, of selfishness. It functions in such subtle ways. I I experienced this early on in marriage when I was working in construction and and I was helping, you know, Jenny's got this huge family and and we would go over and help so-and-so. They got a new house. They need help with this or that. And, And then at the end of those times, I kept hearing this. Hey, when you need help, say the word. I owe you. And I was like, wait. No, you don't owe me. You are not in my debt. That's not why I'm here. I came to help you, period. Not not put you in my debt so then I can call in favors and and say, hey, remember that time, you know? Hmm? I was there all day. I got something coming my way now. I find it the, the, the antonym of giving. And serving, if it's all about self, well, I'll give this as long as I can get that. Friends, this is subtle. It happens very s- in subtle ways. Well, I'll serve as long as I'm recognized and appreciated. Wait a second. Is that a motive that pleases God? Serve for the glory of God. If no one ever notices, praise God. You you can't be repaid. He sees. He knows. Give in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's that's His delight to do. Hmm. No strings attached. 
we had an experience as a family uh, with a situation of, of just great generosity that was given to our family. The problem is, is that uh, there were expectations that came with it. And we had this happen once, and I'll never forget it. Um, it was a gift uh, that helped meet a need that we had, but that gift came with real, real like control. We, in, uh, we want influence. We want you to do what we want now. And because, remember, we, we gave, you that, gave you that gift. That does not honor God. And that's not giving. That's not giving. That's selfish. That's manipulation. We are to run the other way from this. That's not kingdom humility. That's not kingdom generosity. Hmm. Kingdom humility says, oh, what do I have that I have not been given? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, what I have has been given by you for a purpose, to glorify you and bless others. How can I see a need and meet a need? What does it look like? We had a guy in uh, our Thanksgiving get-together with my parents. It's the funniest story. My parents were going to visit an older lady, and they got the wrong address. But they didn't know it. So they pulled up at this guy's house and knock at the front door. He yells from the back room, come on in. And my dad's like, oh, that's weird. Okay, well, come on in. So they're in this guy's kitchen. And, and they said, well, is uh, so-and-so here? And, and he's like, no, no, she lives down the, mile about half, down the road about half a mile. But I'm glad you're here. What's your names? And they start talking. This guy hears the gospel and is saved. You talk about a Macedonian call. That day, the Lord saved him in his kitchen, talking to my parents. They, he, he was made to live by God. So he's part of their church, and, he's in, and all of a sudden, he's part of our Thanksgiving get-together. And we're going around telling stories, and he's sharing about how his battles with alcohol and his just terrible living that he experienced and what it was like to be saved by the power of Jesus. And I'm thinking, this is family. This is awesome, right? So, yes, family matters. Yes, there's tradition, and it's good. But think bigger than that. I'm not saying you have to choose one or the other, but, but think beyond. If all at the holidays we do is think about us and what we do and our traditions and our comfort, we will miss the opportunity to bring in those who may be hurting or cast out or overlooked. Kingdom generosity flows from kingdom compassion and kingdom humility. Philippians 2, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Look at where it starts. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Think of, of what that would have looked like to Jesus as the guests came, if that was the case. They'd have been arguing, but opposite of that. No, 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 no. You deserve to sit at the right hand. I, there's no way I should be there. I won't do it. I don't deserve that, right? Th count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is, this is compassion. This is generosity. They're woven together, friends. Proud people are stingy and hard-hearted. 
Humble people are compassionate and quick to give and help and generosity. Now, the final verse is invitation to the great kingdom feast. Let's look at these. Verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, you got to love this guy. Okay, there's some guy, you know, sitting over here somewhere, and he's, he's doing some assessment work. He's just like, whoa, oh, this is awkward. Jesus has offended literally everybody in the room at this point. I mean, he offended all of the, 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 uh, the invitees, uh, the, the guests, and he just offended the host big time. And he healed on the Sabbath. So, I mean, pretty much everybody is seething at Jesus. So here's this guy. you got to love him, right? He stands up. Well, here's the thing, guys. Um, blessed is everybody. Let's just hug. Let's hug it out. Come on. You know, he's the peacemaker, and he's trying to salvage this, this, this dynamic. We're all at the table. What do we do? His attempt is noble, but Jesus is not yet done. There are more words that need to be said, and these are words that are direct. These are words that are loving, but they're uncomfortable words. The reality is, though, that Jesus sees in a bigger time stamp than we can. He sees what is coming. He speaks of a kingdom that is bigger, a future feast. And so he tells this parable. But the parable is not just a story. This is a prophetic parable. This is a shadow of what is to come at the great wedding marriage supper of the Lamb when we are invited to sit with Jesus at his table as his invited guest. Listen to this story. He said to him, a man once gave a, a great banquet and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his, his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, d- don't miss this. There's two invitations. One is, hey, I'm going to have a banquet. It's going to happen. Be ready, and I'll let you know when. And then the second is, okay, when? It's time to come. Let's go. Come to the banquet. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, oh, I've, I bought a field and I must go and see it. That may be the lamest one. I, I need to go look at some dirt. <laughs> Please have me excuse. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Oh, well, I need to go look at cows, right? I mean, these are pretty bad excuses. This third guy, that's the closest, I think, um, Another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Well, we may give that guy a pass. I mean, newlywed, is he on the honeymoon? What? But seriously, what lame excuses are these? They're rude, really. And, and, and the heart of it is revealing. They're revealing excuses. Jesus, I just, I'm too busy. I got too much stuff going on. I don't have room for this. I don't have time for this. I don't really want to go to your feast. Hmm. 
the reality is, is that the invitation of the king, of King Jesus, trumps every single excuse you could ever come up with. <laughs> he is preeminent. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no host that can outweigh uh, this, this host. His role, his place is sovereign. And when he invites, you should come. What excuse could we make? Uh, I'd just rather just play sports for a while. I, I'm really into cars. I, I <laughs> bought a house. I really got to go look at it. Jesus hears this every day. Every day. The call goes out, come to the feast. And the response of hard hearts is, ah, I got too much going on. Can't really work that in. Too busy. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And he said, uh, then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and there is still room at the table. There's still room. And the master said to his servant, then go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Whoa. Wow. All of a sudden we're aware that there's something that Jesus is talking about a lot bigger than just a uh, a recommended strategy for hosting a lunch after church. Jesus is speaking about his kingdom. He's speaking about the advancement of the gospel, and he's talking about the, the work of God among the Jews and also now reaching beyond to the Gentiles. Look at this. Invite the overlooked, as it were. Jesus' mission, his ministry is focus so much on the hurting, the marginalized, the outcast, those who are completely tread upon, overlooked. Bring them in. They matter in my kingdom. They matter. Those who don't measure up, they matter here at this table. Invite them. There was none of those people at this table. And then, Jesus blew their minds. And if any of these guys had a sense for what he was saying about going out to the highways and the hedges, we're talking Gentiles here, friends. We're talking the outsiders. Non-Jews are invited to this feast. And praise the Lord for that, because here we are. Here we are. The hardening of the hearts of those who were first to hear God's chosen people, the Jews, rejected the Messiah. And in God's sovereign plan, that rejection would result in the bringing in of the nations, some from every tribe and tongue and language and people. And then someday, there will be a great bringing in 
of the Jews. Hmm. There's still room at the table. Don't you love that? Oh, if you're here today and you're hearing all these things about Jesus and his, his arrival at Christmas and the gift that he is from God the Father to sinners, he, he's, he's the one who will save his people from their sins. That's us, sinners. He's our only hope that, that Jesus came and, and lived the life we could never live, died the death that we deserve, taking the wrath of God that should have been upon me forever. And then he is buried in the grave that should consume me and he has victory over death and sin and hell. After three days, the victor, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding even now for us. And and the word is there's room at the table today. It goes back to where we left off last week. Like the, the door is narrow, but friends, it's open today. The question is, what will our response be? Isn't that the question that begs right now? Because the invitation has gone out. Come, come to the table. Come, sinners. Come be forgiven. Come find life. Come in Jesus. Come experience what it's like to be reconciled with the Father. Set free from sin and Satan. For the believers in the room, friends, we all need to grow in these things. First, humility. Humility. That our lives would increasingly be defined by humility. As we understand who He is and who we are and what He's given to us. Hope, life, a future, an inheritance, a family. Forgiveness. May we be increasingly, as we are humbled and and walking in this, may we be quicker and quicker to see those who are hurting, those who are overlooked, the outcast, the needy, those marginalized in our county, friends. They're all over the place. May we be the people who stop and with compassion say, let me see what I can do. How can I help? What does it look like to bring hope to shine light in the dark? May our church family be characterized by a warmth that cuts through financial comparisons and legalistic righteousness comparing and this family, that family, this offense, that offense, compassion, kindness, love, Humility, considering others before ourselves. Friends, the invitation is today, come to the table. Come, come to the table. And I say this with confidence. If you trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will be saved today. You will be forgiven. You will have a place at the table of the Lord. Come to Him. I plead with you, come. Don't make excuses. Don't put it off. Don't don't lower his place of prominence to something beneath dirt or cows or stuff 
a comfort. Put him on the throne where he deserves to be. Let's pray. O King of kings and Lord of lords, we honor you today. We bless you for the gift that you have given in the payment of your blood as you died on the cross to ransom us from our sins and the wrath that we deserve from the Father. We make much of you, O Jesus, our King, in your place of prominence at the right hand of the Father and the only place of prominence in our hearts. You deserve to rule there and reign. Oh, forgive us, Lord, when we we place fickle little idols, these fleeting little wisps of air on the throne, the silliest things we make much of and worship and bow to and give our days to when we have you right in front of us. Father, thank you for your grace that you have given uh, sinners like us a a way to be forgiven in Christ, that, that you would invite us to the table to sit in the presence of our King forever. I pray today that you would bring life and hope and and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Thank you that there's room at the table, Lord. Thank you for that. We praise you. We honor you. We love you as king, king above all, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.